Welcome to the Sales Hacks Podcast, brought to you by the Canadian Professional Sales Association. In this CPSA interview, I chat with Jeb Blunt, author, keynote speaker, podcast host, sales acceleration specialist, and CEO at Sales Gravy. We'll discuss some of the key takeaways from Jeb's popular 2015 book, Fanatical Prospecting. Listen and discover real-life tips on how to keep the pipeline full of qualified leads and avoid debilitating sales slumps by leveraging a balanced prospecting methodology across multiple prospecting channels. For sales professionals, team leaders, and organizations across the country, the Canadian Professional Sales Association is your partner in building knowledge and skills to improve sales performance. The CPSA is the advocate for excellence in sales. We invest resources in programming, curriculum development, and professional designations to help individuals and companies become more successful through effective sales. We connect employers and employees, business with academia, and the private sector with government to advance the sales profession and improve Canadian competitiveness. Learn more at cpsa.com. And remember to subscribe to the CPSA podcast through iTunes, Google Play, and more. Jeb, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on. I'm, I'm, I'm really happy to be here. It's, uh, it's, a, it's an honor to have the opportunity to spend some time with you. It's all my honor, Jeb. You are sales royalty, sir. So I'm very excited about this. But if you keep talking like that, I won't be able to get my head through the door when I leave this interview. <laughs> <laughs> well, then it's a good job we're, we're recording a podcast, not a video today. <laughs> that would be awkward. Uh, okay, so firstly, jumping into the questions. Uh, why is the 30-day rule critical for keeping the pipeline full? Well, the 30-day rule is a pretty simple rule, and it applies almost universally in business-to-business sales. And the 30-day rule simply says that the prospecting that you do in any given 30-day period has a tendency to pay off over the next 90 days. And why is it so important and and why do people need to heed it? Because what it describes is if you take a day off from prospecting, it's going to bite you at some point over the next 90 days. You take a week off, it's going to hurt you. Take a month off, you may be carrying a box with all your stuff to your car to your next sales job because you're going to tank your pipeline. And salespeople have a tendency to forget this rule because they'll say, oh, I'm really busy today doing administrative work, doing proposals, doing this, doing this, doing this, or whatever it is that they're working on. And they say, well, I'm going to skip prospecting today, not a big deal. And what they, what they miss is the long-term impact of, of missing that day. Because it's the cumulative impact of a little bit of prospecting every single day that keeps the pipeline consistently full. And the number one reason why people fail in sales is pretty simple. You have an empty pipeline. And the number one reason you have an empty pipeline is because you're not consistently prospecting. And I teach the 30-day rule as a trigger to help salespeople in those moments of weakness when they allow their disruptive emotions to take control and they put off prospecting, the hardest work in sales, I I use this as a trigger to get them back on track. Don't take a day off. Every day, every day, every day. The prospecting that you do in any given 30-day period has a tendency to pay off over the next 90 days. Uh, What's associated with this concept of the law of replacement that you mentioned in your book, Fanatical Prospecting? So uh, for our listeners who who have not yet read your book, uh, what, what is this law of replacement? And why is understanding the law of replacement the key to avoiding sales lumps? Oh, it's a great question. So the law of replacement is essentially the science of the pipeline. 
And, and the law of replacement and the 30-day rule are, are, are connected because the law of replacement simply says that, that you have to replace the prospects or the opportunities in your pipeline at a rate that equals or exceeds your closing ratio. So in other words, if you if you if we were to get into a, a, a more traditional CRM situation, you're going to put opportunities in the pipeline. Those opportunities are going to advance the pipeline. They're either going to be closed one or they're going to be closed lost. That's the language we we tend to use into in in the modern sales world when it comes to the pipeline. Closed loss would mean that we didn't close it. Closed one would mean that we did close it. So we take a mathematical formula of the opportunities in our pipeline in any given period and the percentage of those opportunities that we put in the pipeline that we close or we win. Now, this, Bill, this, this you know, a side note on this is that it, it, it this matters that you put good information into your, into your CRM, into your pipeline, so that you can get a good bead on what your actual closing ratio is. The law of replacement simply says that, that you have to replace the prospect in your pipeline at a rate that equals or exceeds your closing ratio. And what that means is, uh, this, let's just say that I have, you know, 10 prospects in my pipeline or 10 opportunities in my pipeline, and I have a 10% closing ratio. In other words, of, of, of every opportunity I put in my pipeline, 10% of those opportunities I'm going to close. If I close one, I no longer have opportunities in my pipeline. Those opportunities statistically are DQ'd, disqualified. Now, salespeople get confused here because they say, well, how could you possibly know that these other prospects aren't going to close? And the answer is, this is not the conversation. The conversation is math, it's statistics. Over time, statistically, if I watch your closing ratio, I know that you have a 10% closing ratio. Therefore, if you close one deal, the other nine opportunities will, will naturally fall out because statistically speaking, they are no longer viable. So for salespeople, what this means is that every day, every day, every day, back to the 30-day rule, you've got to be loading the pipeline with new opportunities. Because what happens with salespeople who ignore the 30-day rule and don't understand the law of replacement is that they wake up one day and they're not closing anything. So they're, 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 they've got all these opportunities in the pipe, and they're just calling and checking in. They call and they check in, they check in, they check in, they check in, and nothing happens. And they start looking around for some closing secrets, or they're looking around for techniques that will get the, the customer to move. But basically, they just have a group of stalled deals, which essentially is the bane of most sales organizations, is all of these stalled opportunities that are sitting in the pipeline, no next step, not going anywhere. And the salesperson who is not closing business, who feels like a failure, who is getting hammered because all these stalled deals, quits prospecting to put opportunities in the pipe and instead replaces that prospecting with prospecting the pipe. In other words, they're calling the opportunities that are not going to close in the pipeline over and over and over again, trying to get those, those opportunities to unstall. But the law of replacement says those opportunities are never going to unstall because they're never going to close because they weren't going to close in the first place, law of statistics. So if you get all this, all you have to understand is this. I need to be prospecting every single day to consistently be adding things into my pipeline. I need to make sure that I'm adding things in my pipeline that are equal or greater than the, my, my closing ratio. If I'm doing that on a regular basis, a lot of this begins to take care of itself because if I'm consistently adding new opportunities in my pipeline, I no longer have time to call people who aren't going to buy from me and just check in. So the system begins working all in one place. 
And there's one more thing I want to add to this bill as we go as we as we move forward into the interview. But just, just so people understand this, prospecting is prospecting, sales is sales. Prospecting is asking for time, sales is asking for commitments. So prospecting essentially gets separated from selling. And we, we've done this in a lot of cases in, in companies where we've, we've literally separated one group of people does prospecting and one group of people does sales. But what I want you to understand is that the thing that, that impacts salespeople, and I wrote about this in, in my book, Sales EQ, is their disruptive emotions of insecurity, of fear, of doubt, of attachment, uh, of eagerness. Those disruptive emotions impact salespeople when they're in the sales process. One of the worst emotions is is desperation. And when you have an empty pipeline or when you have a, a pipeline that's stalled, you get bitten by something called the universal law of need. And that simply states that, that the more that you need the deal, the less likely it is that you're going to get the deal. So salespeople who allow their pipe to get empty or allow their pipe to look like it's full because they're not replacing the opportunities that they're closing – they find themselves in this downward spiral. They get into these slumps and they can't get out of the slump. So what happens is they're, you know, they, they get super desperate. Well, that impacts everything else that happens to them in the sales process. Even though they're, you know, they, they, they may be good at asking for time, they may be good at asking for money or are good at asking for commitments. When they get desperate, when, they're, when their disruptive emotions begin to take over, they become worse at selling. So understanding the need to keep the pipeline full, if you do that as a salesperson, you immediately become more confident and you immediately are able to transfer that conference, that confidence to your prospects and your opportunities, and that immediately helps you become a better closer through the sales process. So all of these things are connected, and that's why you have to understand the 30-day rule and the law of replacement and how they impact your pipeline and your emotions so that you become a better salesperson in the end. I completely agree. And uh, listeners, as we are recording this interview, while the uh, fabulous Soccer World Cup is going on, uh, you may be able to tell that I may be an England fan. I'd just like to say that momentum is everything, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, momentum breeds confidence and confidence breeds results. So uh, anyway, that, there's my World Cup reference for, for this. <laughs> Let's continue through. Um, and another law that you mentioned in your book is the law of familiarity. So I'd, I'd like you to now share how sales pros can leverage the law of familiarity to reduce prospecting friction and avoid rejection. Absolutely. Well, every, every human being lives in a bubble of familiarity. And that means that we have a tendency to be more trusting of people who we're more familiar with. We have a tendency, for example, to frequent places and businesses that we're more familiar with. And that familiarity uh, essentially breeds liking. So the more familiar we're with something, the more we like it. And it's not different than, for example, if you hear a song on the radio, you may not like the song the first time, but if you hear the song over and over and over again, or I guess these days you hear the song on Spotify or or whatever you know streaming music service you hear, but if you hear the song over and over and over again, you have a tendency to begin to like the song, even though the first time you heard it, it didn't exactly connect with you. And it's no difference with salespeople. The more a prospect sees your name, sees your company name, sees your email, um, the more they see you, the more they, they, they become familiar with you, the, prob- the more the probability increases that when they're ready or, or when there's an opportunity for you get in the door, that they will engage. In other words, they'll give you time, they'll give you um, a conversation, they'll give you qualifying information. So 
a lot of prospecting begins in the absence of familiarity. So a lot of prospecting begins totally cold. Uh, you know, you, you're, uh, you're you know, calling into a list and people don't know you or you're in a brand new territory that you just got assigned or you got a brand new job with a company and people don't know who you are. And, and what we have to recognize about prospecting, and this is a problem for salespeople, is they, and I see salespeople do this, they'll make one call and they don't get anybody or they get told no and then they never call that prospect again. And the thing they have to recognize is sometimes you have to call 15 times or 20 times. Or in the case of one uh, enterprising software sales rep who called me 71 times, you have to do that. But this, this cat's name was Richard, and I write about him in my brand-new book, Objections. He called me 71 times, and he left a bunch of voicemail messages, and he also sent me email, and he stalked me on LinkedIn, and he used every, every way to, um, to get in touch with me. And one day he called me, and it was the right day, and I recognized his voice. And he was familiar, and I engaged, and he ended up selling me a uh, a system, a platform that we're still using today. That was um, that's been really helpful for my business. But it took 71 attempts for him to call us, and it's 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 all, using all of the channels that you have in in prospecting from from voicemail to uh, phone calls to email to text messaging to social media and in person when you have an opportunity if you can go knock on a door or go to a trade show or you know in any way that you can connect with people it's using all of that and being persistent over time because familiarity breeds liking and when you move into someone's familiarity bubble all of a sudden the probability that they will engage with you goes up and in in if you can get referrals, it's even better because if you get a referral, you're using someone else's familiarity and attaching that to you. So the the message here for salespeople is you've got to be extremely persistent. You've got to work and work and work at this. You have to use every channel that you can possibly use, and you have to do everything possible to 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 get people to see you, to hear you, to experience you over time. And I'm going to tell you one more story, Bill, because we did this just recently. We were working with a group of insurance sales reps, and they sell uh, benefits. So these are these are reps that are going into companies and helping them build robust benefits packages. And we got them all together. We were doing a fanatical prospecting boot camp over a couple of days, and we do live phone blocks in our in our boot camps. Everybody brought a list with them. And one of the things I'd noticed about this company and working with this company is that people had a tendency to just plow through lists. They would pull a list off of data.com or Zoom Info or Discover Org or, you know, wherever they could get the list, and they would then dial into that list. And, and then once they got done with that list, they would call the next list. So one of their vice presidents, who honestly had made a cold call in like 11 years, takes a list of 25 prospects. And over the course of six 30-minute phone blocks, calls the same 25 prospects over and over again. The first three phone blocks, he didn't get anything. He got a little bit of con you know, contact information, met a couple of gatekeepers, got told a lot, know a lot, but didn't really set any appointments. And they're trying to set appointments with these, with these, with these prospects. But by calling the same 25 prospects, at the end of those six call blocks, he had set 11 appointments with that 25. So almost half of, the, of, that, of that list he had set appointments with to go talk about benefits with decision makers. And what that proved out to that entire group is that familiarity really matters a lot. You have to be persistent. You have to call. You've got to get in front of them, and you've got to use every channel at your disposal to make sure that they know who you are.
And I guess uh, it also highlights the the importance of the quality of the data that you have access to as well, right? If, if, if you're buying from one of those uh, vendors that you mentioned there or renting lists from one of those vendors and you're only hitting gatekeepers or the telephone numbers are only generic telephone numbers, uh, it ain't that good quality compared to other contacts that perhaps you have more familiarity with. That's just my two cents. Well, it's true, but but you got to start someplace. I mean, the, the thing is, is that, you know, it's it's really nice and, you know, in a um, in the perfect world that, you know, every salesperson is going to have perfect data and they're going to have the name of the decision maker and the direct line to the decision maker or, you know, key influencers or they're going to have their cell phone or their email. But the reality is, is that's just not how it works. I mean, we like to talk about that a lot. Everybody, you know, every sales expert out there is willing to write an article about how you need to warm up your calls and get better data and all these other things. But I live in the real world with real salespeople and most real salespeople just don't have that kind of data. And and because salespeople are constantly changing jobs or moving into different territories or changing companies, you know, it's it's just not that cut and dry. Certainly there are situations and I've got a couple of clients that have really good marketing organizations that do a lot of inbound marketing. So they bring in good leads. But even in those situations, we call them seekers. There's a lot of seekers, people who don't have influence and don't have decision-making authority who come in through inbound forms. And even in those situations, you call up, you're having a conversation with the person, but they say, I don't have anything to do with this, or I just wanted to download the ebook. So we have to realize that in most cases, we begin with not a whole lot of anything. And you, and, and, and most salespeople are beginning cold. And even if the the prospect knows the company, even if the prospect in the CRM, you've got history and everything, they don't know you. So you're, you're beginning from scratch. And my message to salespeople is, this is why I say, you know, about 20% of your prospecting is setting appointments with, with prospects that are fully qualified. And basically, the, you're waiting for the buying window to open and you make a phone call to those folks, you set appointments with them, or you engage in immediate sales conversations. But 80% of the time, you're filling in the, in the, in the puzzle. You're, you're getting a gatekeeper and you're, you know, you're building relationships with a gatekeeper to level up to the next person that's there. Maybe you're doing some research in advance, but I got to tell you, research isn't prospecting. So what a lot of salespeople do is they, they replace prospecting with research so they never do any prospecting. So you've got to, as a salesperson, just get this and understand this. And, you know, for my fellow sales experts, I love the fact that you all write about how, you know, the perfect world should be, but it's not perfect and it will never be perfect. And AI isn't going to solve this problem. And, you know, and I, and I love tools like Zoom Info. I, we use Zoom Info and just, I just love their platform. I love all the information that they provide and it's really good, robust content. And, uh, and they're, they're just a fantastic organization but I still got a call and I still got to, to, you know, have my number pop up on someone's phone or they have, they have to hear my voice a few times. You know, it typically takes somewhere between five and, you know, 30 outbound touches to engage a prospect sometimes just to get information that they're not the right person to call. So I don't want to send the message that we're going to live in some fantasy land where everything is going to be perfect for all the salespeople, nor should we expect that. As an organization and a business, if you're a leader or you're a marketing executive or you're a CSO, you should be doing everything in your power to to provide the best data you possibly can to your sales force. And if you're a salesperson, you should be doing everything possible with the data that you have to make that data better through your outbound prospecting efforts 
so that you do your job as well. And sometimes all you're going to have is the name of a business and a phone number. So you're going to have to do some detective work. You're going to have to make some phone calls. You're going to have to go in there and, and engage. This is why it's called profiting and not order taking. Because if it was order taking, you wouldn't have to do any of that. and You'd be making a whole lot less money. Because if you sit at a phone and people call you, I can pay you 10, 15 bucks an hour to do that. If you want to go outbound prospecting, go out and find opportunities, you can make $250,000 a year doing that. You just have to make a choice on what you want to do. Okay, thank you very much. I, I want to continue down the lines here with you in, in terms of uh, what you do when you're on the telephone or what you do with those telephone numbers that you have on that list. So uh, firstly, how, how can sales pros use your simple five-step telephone framework to get more appointments faster? Yeah, so so let's you know let's take a look at what we're doing when we're prospecting, whether it's a telephone prospecting or email prospecting, um, which is it because it's been being a little bit over overdone is uh, losing its impact. Um, but you're in, you essentially you're interrupting somebody. So when I pick up the phone and I call you, Bill, I'm an interruption. And the five-step telephone framework that we teach in fanatical prospecting simply takes into account that I'm an interruption. And if you're being interrupted. In, let's just say I call you and interrupt and interrupt you. Your preference would be that I didn't interrupt you in the first place, and that's why you know prospecting objections tend to be pretty harsh because Bill's in the middle of his day having a a good time watching the World Cup or you know cat videos or whatever, and I interrupt you. You're not responding to that interruption with oh my, I'm thank you so much for you know for interrupting my day so you can talk about you. You're not happy about that, but the point for salespeople is that if you don't interrupt Bill, you're not going to make any money, you're going to starve to death, and you're going to have skinny kids. So we have to interrupt. But if we're going to interrupt Bill, we need to make sure that we're interrupting in a way that's going to give us the best possible outcome. And that simply means that we need to be, do, do it fast, so get on and off the phone as fast as we possibly can. Um, we need to make sure that it's relevant to Bill, so it's got to be relevant. Uh, and it's, so in other words, it's got to be something that's going to cause him to say, well, okay, it was worth my time answering the phone with you. And what I mean by relevance, he just has to give him a reason why he wants to meet with you. Um, and, and, it, and it has to be um, something that, um, you know, that, that captures his attention immediately, and it's got to be super fast, so super fast and super simple. One of my CEO friends, when we went through the process, calls it the three Bs, be brief, be bright, be gone. And the telephone, the five-step telephone process simply walks you through the process of getting the prospect's attention, telling them why you're calling them, because people want to know why you're calling them, telling them what you want, so what am I asking for, so usually you're asking for time, giving them a reason to meet with you. We call it a because statement because, you know, I help companies like you because this, because that, whatever the situation is, and then asking confidently for what you want, and then being prepared to deal with prospecting objections. So it's, it, it, it's one of these beautiful, simple frameworks that just works. It just works brilliantly. And it's a little bit counterintuitive because we take out all of the niceties. We don't do how you're doing. We don't do small talk. We don't do, you know, um, these, uh, uh, you know, value statements at the beginning, you know, the opening statement. We don't do any of that stuff. We just, we just prospect the way the human brain operates. 
you're, you're sitting at your desk, the phone rings, it's a salesperson. You immediately think, how can I get off the telephone? The salesperson needs to get your attention fast, reduce your fear by telling you what they want, give you a compelling reason to, to, to meet with them and ask for the time and do that in 30 seconds or less. And when we do this and when we deploy this process consistently along with a, you know, a turnaround framework for objections, we see the numbers go up exponentially for companies. It blows people away at how well it works because we take all this contrived BS that, that marketing organizations put in that um, people who don't know how to prospect or don't know how to cold call stick in the thing, people who overcomplicate something that is super simple, get your attention, ask you for time. It's that simple. That's all I'm doing. We overcomplicate. We take all the complexity out of that, and we give you a simple framework that, that flexes to wherever you are in context and gets you on and off the phone fast so you can set appointments, fill up your pipeline, and move on with the rest of your day. You are a funny man, sir. I, I loved your, uh, your mention there. You don't want to have skinny kids. Uh, I thought that was quite good. Uh, <laughs> okay, so that's, that's the art of uh, that initial phone call then. But uh, something that maybe perplexes uh, a lot of our listeners out there, certainly perplexes me, is, is how on earth you can get text messaging working well for you. So uh, what is your seven-step text message prospecting framework and how can it help salespeople get text working for them? So, so text message is a is a beautiful, beautiful uh, tool these days and channel these days in prospecting, but it's got a little bit of, you know, I, I guess you know, nuance in it. First of all, text messaging is a one dimensional type of communication. There's almost no emotion. There's no inflection in it, other than using emojis, which you should not use when you're prospecting. So, it's a one dimensional communication process that that shouldn't be as effective as it is except for text messaging is really personal and when we look at text messaging compared to the other forms of communication that we get text messaging typically goes to the top of our priorities in other words when we get a text message we'll drop everything to deal with a text message where we'll save an email save a voicemail um you know in-person prospecting moves a lot slower so Text messaging, because of that, can be really, really effective. However, there's a couple of things you have to recognize. One is you don't want to text message people who don't know you. If you text message people that don't know you, what's going to happen is your phone number is going to get blocked. Because because text messaging is incredibly personal for people, we don't like it when strangers drop their, their text into our text messaging box without permission. Now, email, you can email people so the cows come home and they'll, they may be offended by it, but that's expected that we're going to get email from people that we don't know. But text messaging people that don't know you is a really bad thing. So this is where familiarity comes back into play. So, for example, um, I, if I meet you in person and uh, maybe at a conference or a trade show and you give me your business card and your cell phone's on, on there, I'll typically text message you not long after that and say, it was really nice to meet you, Bill. Thank you for the conversation. It was cool learning about you and your kids. If you text me back, then you know me. We're texting each other. Now we're in a situation where I can use text as a prospecting methodology to either open up an opportunity to meet with you now or to nurture the opportunity or nurture the relationship for the future. Uh, even if I'm I sell, you know, inside sales, if I'm working with a stakeholder or having a conversation with them and they give me their cell phone number, then I'll, I'll, if as soon as somebody gives me their cell phone number, I'll go back and text them and so I can move into that familiarity bubble. And if they text me back, then I know I've got permission there. 
So from a text messaging standpoint, first make sure that you, you have a level of familiarity. But it's also important that, that you follow us a set of rules. So we use basically seven core steps. They're pretty easy. Number one is identify yourself. At the very beginning of your text message, tell them who you are. I typically, in brackets, put from Jeb Blunt. I just put that up front. So they know who I am because a lot of times they, when I'm, when I'm texting someone, my number is not automatically in their phone, so they don't know who I am. All they get is a number, and that can be a little bit awkward. So make sure you do that. Make sure you understand that what you say and how you say it makes it makes a difference because it's one dimensional. The only way they know what your emotions are, what you feel are the words that you use. So make sure that you use the right tone in your words. So pick the right words, you know, in the sentences. And, and with that, you've got to be direct. When we go back to the three B's, be brief, be bright, be gone, that's how text messaging is. You've got about 250 characters or less, and you've got to have a direct message that says exactly what you mean to say and the least amount of words possible that's the easiest for someone to understand. It's also important that you be careful to avoid uh, common abbreviations like OMG, especially WTF or LOL or any of the things that you would typically use. Don't use abbreviations and try not to use jargon unless it's abbreviations or jargon that your prospect would naturally understand. But it's so natural because we so much of the texting that we do is to our friends and family, not to prospects. So it's easy to 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 think or to be too familiar or too authentic with our message. So be very, very careful with that. And it's 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 also you know when you're sending stuff out, especially for example, if I'm prospecting, and I did this recently to a uh, a head of a department that we we've, we've talked to them a few times about doing training, and they're on my my list. And I get some I, I subscribe to a couple of Google alerts in their in their industry, so I can keep up with what's happening. And I got a link to an article that was uh, it was a good article about. Um, some trends in their business. So I grabbed that link and I texted it over to Jack. I, I sent it to him and said, hey, you know, Jack, I thought you might like to take a look at this. That was it. When I put that link in there, I used the entire hyperlink. So he didn't see a bit.ly link or any of those things. Those are important because you, you want to make sure that they feel comfortable. Anything that they click on, they can see the entire URL so they know it's not a virus. But by sending that link, what happened is as soon as I sent that, I got a text message back from him who said, thank you very much. We really appreciate this. You know, we probably should get together next month and have a conversation about our budget in 2019. So I use text messaging a lot of times for purely for, uh, for nurturing and for keeping relationships alive. Um, I also believe that it's important that, especially with text messaging because it's so fast, that you be very, very careful about um, making sure that you're proofreading what you write. Now, I'm the typo king. Uh, I'm terrible at this. I do this all the time. So I've got a lot of uh, bruises for sending stuff that's not, um, you know, not ready for prime time. So it's so important that, especially when you're prospecting and you're putting yourself out there, that you slow down and read what you're going to write. If it's a really important prospect, if you're sending something to a C-level prospect, I suggest writing your text on your notepad or something like that first um, and and then copy and pasting it in. That allows you to proofread it and make sure it's right before you accidentally push send. And then it's important to know your numbers. Like I, I think you've got to keep up with your text messaging numbers the same way you, you, you keep up with your phone prospecting numbers. 
And this is important. I'm not talking about blasting marketing messages to people. When I'm talking about text message prospecting, I mean, the same thing with email prospecting. I'm talking about one-to-one -one communication. If your marketing department is sending SMS messages out to people in mass, that's a completely different animal than, than, than text message prospecting. As a sales professional, be very careful. If you spam people, and this is especially true in, with, uh, with text messaging and social selling, so social prospecting. If you do that, if you spam people, you're going to get blocked. And if you get blocked, you've got no chance. You've got no opportunity to reach them in, in, the, in the future. And, uh, and finally, my, my last warning on this, um, don't text and drive, don't text and drive, don't text and drive, don't text and drive because you're going to kill yourself or kill somebody else. And uh, I, I just added a little caveat in there. We're, we're largely talking today, of course, in, in the context of uh, can spam, which applies largely to business being done in the US and the inferred consent regulations around that. But for those operating or communicating with folk uh, in the EU or Canada, uh, please, please be careful of the regulations associated with GDPR as of as of 2018 and uh, Castle as of 2014, uh, because otherwise you could be in hot water there when it comes to emails, when it comes to telephone, when it comes to text. So always be sure that you understand those regulations. Uh, Jeb, one last question for you today. Uh, and then uh, and then we'll uh, we'll be sure to get you on again with your permission. Um, that, that, that's just uh, how can our listeners connect with you and learn more work about the work done at Sales Gravy? And also, uh, how can how can they get a copy of your new book, Objections? Absolutely. So uh, let's start with Objections. So if you like fanatical prospecting, you'll, you'll love Objections. They're, they're, these two books connect very well together. You can pick up Objections wherever books are sold. If you're in, in Canada, Indigo Books has them. Um, obviously, Amazon has every book in the world, so you can pick that up. If you're in the U.S., um, you can pick it up at Barnes & Noble. And, uh, and you can, you can you know, in, in any place that books are sold, pick up Objections. You can reach me at salesgravy.com so you go to salesgravy.com or my my website speaker website is jeb blunt b-l-o-u-n-t dot com you can catch me on twitter i'm at salesgravy you can catch me on instagram i'm at salesgravy you can pick me up on facebook at salesgravy connect with me on linkedin i'm on linkedin all the time my podcast is on itunes just type in salesgravy and you can also uh, catch me on youtube forward slash salesgravy and if you want to send me an email, if you like this, if you got a question or what have you, jeb at salesgravy.com. That's jeb at salesgravy.com. I give you my consent. You can send me an email. And you can uh, also reach me at 844. That's plus one for folks. It's a U.S. number, 844-447-3737. I won't answer that phone, but somebody on my, my wonderful staff will answer the phone. And they can, uh, they can give you a hand or they can get you connected with me. But 844-447-3737. And I echo what you said. Um, wherever you are, you got to take, take, you know, pay attention to every prospecting mechanism and make sure that that you're in compliance uh, with that. And the one thing that I know to be true with most regulation, and I go back to one to one, is prospecting goes wrong when it becomes mass prospecting, which is not prospecting; it's marketing. Um, but when it's one to one communication, um, you're you're going to stay out of out of trouble with most regulations. Um, when it's just you and the other person, um, you get in big trouble. And in, in the U.S., the same thing can spam happens in the U.S. as well. Um, there is no inferred consent for you to send mass marketing to people. Um, you 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 still have to to get their consent. Um, but that's different than one to one. So Bill's exactly right. 
um, primary rule for all prospecting is be compliant. Deb, I feel like we could do a whole other show on inferred consent, single opt-in, double opt-in, <laughs> and all the rest of it. But, but listen, you heard it here first. Jeb is giving his single opt-in, at least, to uh, further communications from you, uh, as long as they are relevant and personal. There we go. Uh, but for, for today, Jeb, that just leaves me to say thank you very much for being a guest on the CPSA podcast. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And listeners, as always, until next time, happy selling. Thank you for listening to the Sales Hacks Show. Learn more about the training and benefits from the Canadian Professional Sales Association at cpsa.com.